Hello, and welcome to the Fringe Collective Podcast. My name is Michael J. Johnson. I'm your host. If you're new to our podcast, we are a podcast for and by working musicians and music artists. If you're on Facebook, please like our page at facebook.com slash fringe collective. And of course, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast client. And you can leave a comment for us at iTunes as well. My guest for this episode is guitarist, vocalist, and songwriter M.B. Padfield. M.B. is another Berkeley alum, but I didn't actually ever have her as a student. I happened to find her on Facebook because she was friends with some of my former students, and the thing that got my attention was the fact that she was so open about her struggles with addiction. So this was one of those situations where I met her first just on social media and later on cut one of her live shows and that's when I finally met her in person. And in this episode, she talks about all the things I was hoping she would be willing to talk about. Her sobriety, her time at Berkeley, and she talks a lot about her unique guitar setup. Also, later on in the episode, the fabulous Ani Johnson joins us and asks her a question or two as well. As far as the music for this episode, we opened with MB's latest single, Seams, which you can find on Spotify and Apple Music and all the normal places. And we close with another one of her singles, Full Throttle Baby. Her music is also on SoundCloud, and you can find her on the web at mbpadfield.com, Instagram at mbspacepadfield, and Facebook, mbpadfield, all one word. We're talking to MB Padfield. Welcome to the Fringe Collective podcast. Love it. Let's start kind of where did you grow up? Like, how did you get into music? That sort of deal. Yeah. So, like, kind of the, the boilerplate sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Manchester, New Hampshire. Um, uh, my brother was a musician. He was a guitar player, um, and he wouldn't let me play guitar, any of his <laughs> guitars. So when he would sneak out, I would play the guitars. Uh, but I never had one of my own until I was um, 14. And then I'm terrible at math, like any math adding. I just I don't number well. I word well. I don't number well. And um and uh, in order for my mom, I was homeschooled. I dropped out of school when I was 14. Um, I definitely had I had a lot of emotional issues. I just I didn't fit in with other people. And um, I was forced to drop out of school at 14. And I already finished my high school education um, by that time. So I thought I wanted to be a doctor, which is funny that you bring up the MD. So I started doing... Um, I went to community college and I started doing all my anatomy and physiology um, ASL one and two, English composition, psychology, all of my basic, um, classes. Cause I thought I wanted to be an ER physician. And then, um, when I was 16, I had like 30 something credits for college, but I didn't really want to pursue college anymore. I started working as a musician when I was 15, I would play in nursing homes and my mom would drop me off and, uh, she would drop me off and pick me up. And, uh, you know, I, I, I hustled a little bit of money. I played there once a month. I was the coolest kid on the block. <laughs> and um, by the time I was 16, I got linked in with a booking agent, and he needed someone for a last-minute gig, someone out of cancellation. He goes, you're up, kid. I've been begging this guy to work with me for years, and you know it just wasn't the right time, and I wasn't really musically ready for it off the bat. So totally get it. And then uh, I started working with him, and I was full-time musician by the time I was 16. I was playing in bars and clubs every single night of the week, and um, I was on top of the world, or so I thought. And um, I thought I had everything. I thought once I got the things I wanted, I would be okay. 
um, and I quickly learned that that was not the case. Mm-hmm. So I started doing that. I started playing guitar when I was 14. Honestly, I played it for two weeks, and I put it in the closet for like two years. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't really see it. Um, I just played it so that I could sing and, and gig and, and do that. I didn't really fall in love with it until about almost four years ago. Um, and and that's when I it really started to take hold and I really started to view it as like not just a gateway but an actual instrument and view it as like a love. Um, and uh, I don't know, there's something just about playing guitar that's 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 different. Um, it's just the musicianship and like there's... There's a lot of things like as a as a vocalist, I'm able to better. I like to be able to at least know enough about an instrument to tell and communicate with my other band members and, and bandmates and people I work with, like what I need from them. When you first picked up the guitar, did you just teach yourself, or did yeah. you? Okay. Yeah, my. Did you get one of those little Mel Bay books to show you some chords or something? <laughs> no, I decided that I was. I didn't watch any like YouTube videos or anything like that. I uh, my brother showed me how to read chord diagrams, and that was as far as the guitar lessons yeah. went. Um, he was telling my parents for years, "Well, my hands are too small." Blah 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 blah. Whatever. Um, and um, he was signed with a local label at the time. He was doing like this punk pop sort of thing. And um, they did pretty well, but um, he didn't end up going to Berkeley. He um, he decided that he wanted to go to law school, mm. um, and uh, so that's cool. But I uh, I started playing, and then I um, I taught myself. I found I got like a really watered down Beatles chord book version, and I didn't play any of that. But um, I loved looking up like tabs online and. The first song I think I learned to play was like Better Days by Goo Goo Dolls. And I didn't play it remotely the right way. <laughs> but um, but it was fun. And I, I learned, I remember I like taught myself a bunch of chords and I couldn't move my fingers for the next two weeks after that. They were so sore. <laughs> I never wanted to play guitar again. I like mastered the instrument, clearly. I learned three songs. I was done. <laughs> and um, yeah, I never really caught the love for it until later. Mm-hmm. It was something that I had to come on to my own. Guitar was not my first. My first instrument was piano. Um, so I played piano as a kid. I even did lessons and, and, and whatnot as a kid, and, and I hated it. Man, I like, I was, I'm the type of person that unless I want to do it, you cannot get me to do it. Um, and it got to a point where I started, like, Sarah Bareilles' album Little Voice was, like, just getting big. Mm-hmm. Right, she was like the new Alanis Morissette, and everybody had little voice. And like, I didn't really have friends growing up. I was a really lonely kid, and no one really wanted anything to do with me until I started playing music. And um, and I started like learning those songs that way. Like, oh, people could like hang out, and and I and I and I started, you know, eventually spending time with other people. And I think music was a big gateway for that. When you were doing at sixteen, doing the bars, were you just mostly singing then, or were you still playing? I was playing. Oh, okay. not well, but I was playing. Okay. <laughs> um, you I was. Just, you just didn't really love it that much. I didn't yeah. love it. I didn't understand it. I didn't. It hurt. It was a lot of work. Yeah. Um, just the guitar. I didn't mind. You know, like I liked going to work at six thirty to nine thirty. I liked going to like. To clubs and I liked being out like I was a very social person I just didn't um I didn't exactly know where and what my role was and I think being a musician like helped me discover that in a sense of giving myself an identity I later learned that like that was that ended up being toxic for someone like me but 
it but at the time it served its purpose and I finally like started learning to actually meet people and have real friends and that sort of thing. So at 16 you're playing in clubs. You've already graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. Are you still in college then or Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was still doing college. I was taking a couple college classes every semester. I wasn't full time, but um I didn't uh, technically I didn't my uh, my mom I was home. I was under the umbrella of homeschooled. Mm-hmm. Um, I was too young to get my GED at the time, so we didn't really have any choice, which sucked. But it was what it was, and we made we we found a loophole. We found a way around it. Yeah. So I all the credits and classes I took were legit. I've you know I, I still have those credits to this day. So if I ever decide like in a million years that I want to go back to basically med school and go be a doctor again, I I could, but I don't. I don't ever foresee that happening it's not part mm. of my definitely I think at a time it was at a time like it gave me I was so I'm so into knowledge and so into learning and, and new things that like the possibilities for me just seemed endless in the field of emergency medicine just because it was always something new and I was used to kind of the chaos so it, it seemed like a good fit at the time but you know you live you learn you move on but yeah I can still name a few bones it's about it's about it. You know, you're humorous <laughs> and you're you're all know your radius and mandibular yeah. fossy. Yeah. So you told this story at the uh, the thing at the lily pad yeah. that I went to, and you kind of started with that. So why don't you go ahead and and talk through that, like like how you got into drinking right. and all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay, I was gonna say I was like I don't know what story. Unfortunately, being an alcoholic, you end up with a lot of stories. So I don't know which one you're talking about. Yeah. But, um... No, I think because I remember you saying there about playing the bars at 16 and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. So I was really young playing bars, and um, it was legal. You know what I wasn't do- what I was doing. I wasn't I wasn't even really drinking at bars and uh, clubs that that didn't happen until later on because I knew how much trouble I would get in and like I didn't want to jeopardize my career because mm. I thought like once I got to a certain level I would be happy and I wouldn't need to drink anymore yeah um that didn't that that's not a real thing I tried it <laughs> if it's a real thing for you congratulations but um I, I can't you're right I can't right. recommend that <laughs> And um, so I went and um, I was gigging almost every night of the week and I told myself I could drink during the day because I worked at night. So I wasn't drinking. My drinking definitely progressed. It wasn't an everyday sort of thing. It was a, it, it got to that point at the end of my drinking, it was every day and I was a morning drinker. That was a big part of my drinking. I was a habitual drunk driver. I was never caught. I was never arrested. I never got in any real trouble. I did well in school while I was drinking. Um, on the outside, everything looked completely fine. Um, very much the white picket fence syndrome. So everything is cool. I was always smiling. I was always laughing, entertaining people. And you hear about people like Robin Williams and, and I can really empathize going through that because it's so much easier to think about someone else's shit than your own. And, and life, is, life is hard, and especially when you're a creative, when you're a musician, and you don't really know what your path is yet. And not that, and like today, I, I know that I don't need to know. Like, my path is going to be what it is. Of course, I have goals, I have dreams, I have aspirations, but I don't need to be X, Y, Z. And, and I know that that's, those things won't fulfill me. Um, the way that like the self-fulfillment comes in. Mm -hmm. So yeah, my first experience drinking, I immediately, I mean, if you're going to drink, go hard or go home. And I got wasted. I ended up punching a random stranger in the face. Um, 
that was, yeah, that was just my first day drinking. So, so far, so good, right? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and, uh, and I, and I didn't, I didn't drink for like three, three, four months after that, you know, I just like it, it didn't. And, and then it started like the increments between me drinking just got closer and closer together. And, and when I drank, I always couldn't stop. Like I would start and I just, I hated stopping. I like, could stop at first but it was just why why would you want like if one made me feel too good then two is going to make me feel better and so on and so on so I just didn't stop drinking problem solved like I figured it out I found my solution um and later I was I was in college and and I was all sorts of messed up I was not emotionally prepared to handle college I was never emotionally developed I was severely emotionally underdeveloped even as a kid um just didn't have friends, didn't know how to have friends, didn't trust friends, didn't trust people, didn't... I liked talking to people, and I liked people wanting to know who I was. And I think at the time, being a musician, people wanted finally wanted to know who I was. They wanted to know, you know, about me. And I, and I finally felt like I got some sort of ounce of recognition for who I was as a human. Um, but what I do is not who I am. And uh, it's a big part of, of my character and, and, and who I aspire to be but I think a lot of times with you know MB the performer is not necessarily persona I don't I don't find that it's like whatever you do when you step on stage is going to be a magnified version of yourself so if you're from what I've seen in my experience is that like for me like it's a magnified version of myself like it's bigger it's brighter it's it's everything is cool um I've seen other people that like little bit more timid like I've seen them kind of go real timid I've rarely seen someone it's it's always interesting to me to see someone who's kind of shy and really come out of their shell on stage which which is really cool some people are are cut out for that I was never shy on stage I never got stage fright I was never afraid to go on stage um, because I felt like for a long time that was my home Mm -hmm. Um, because people finally loved me there and then it got to a point where like I didn't love myself there And I didn't love myself. And, like, I was replacing their thoughts and emotions or what I thought that they thought of me onto myself. And, like, that's how I validated myself. And that's how I made myself feel okay. So that never really worked out for me. And then by the time I was 18, I got sober. Um, I detoxed myself in my college dorm room. I didn't know anybody else who was sober, really. I was dating this drug-dealing pastor, and that was not working out. I was dating all these crazy, crazy men, um, and and I, I didn't know anyone else that was sober except for him, and uh, so I just, I did that for a while, and I tried to get sober. I tried to, there was a, there was a bunch of times where, like, I went to, like, one 12-step meeting, and I, I tried that, and uh, I was like, you know what? Not for me. Not for me. Like, this is, I don't have a problem. I'm not that bad. I don't drink every day. Like, but meanwhile, like, they told me about this thing that, like, progressed, um, that, like, my disease of alcoholism was progressive and that, like, we're never, we're never better. We're always worse. And that rang very true for me. And um, I quickly learned that um, that college was not necessarily the right place for me in the emotional capacity. It was absolutely the right way for me to learn and to grow, but I, I didn't know how to handle it. I remember I used to set up, 
like counseling appointments once a week like you're allowed one counseling appointment once a week and I would show up there and, and apparently I was blacked out and apparently I made one and I showed up there and like she tried to get me to go to rehab and I just didn't want to go it you know they they have songs about that but like <laughs> but I did not want to go to treatment because yeah. um, I I had to work I had I had my shows you know I had all the the bullshit reasonings and so I said well my emotional bottom like people like asked me like what it was that like like out of all the shit I did, like, nothing, like, hit for me until I just remember waking up. I remember I didn't want to live my life like this. Like, I knew I was going to die. I felt myself dying. And it's a very weird thing where you know what you're doing is killing yourself and, like, you just keep going. I remember the first time I, I didn't want to live anymore was in fifth grade. Wow. Um, I deal with constant um, anxiety, depression, um, I'm not bipolar, um, but, I mean, generalized anxiety disorder, complex PTSD. I was diagnosed autism spectrum at one point. I mean, you know, I think my parents were just really trying to find whatever was wrong with me so they could fix it. Um, and uh, I was getting kicked out of schools, almost got sent to juvie, just just a handful of a kid. And um, I didn't I didn't really know why. I just, like, knew I didn't feel okay and I had to do something about it. So it's really no surprise to me that I turned to drinking. Um, and they definitely didn't see it. I, I learned to hide it really well. But there was there was a time when all I would do was drink because that's all I wanted to do. And I always did what I want. I get what I want. So there you go. And I think once I identified myself as an alcoholic, that's when the drinking really ramped up because I finally felt like I let down that wall of I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not going to drink like one. And, like, it was that, like, it was the period that I knew that I had a problem and I just didn't know how to stop, which was the scariest. That was the most terrifying for me because I knew how to drink. I didn't know how to get sober. I didn't know anybody that was sober. All I did was, like, research things online and, like, and and I Googled stuff and I just was like, well, I've been to those meetings and, like, those people don't understand me. They Like, I'm, like, I'm sort of a special piece of shit and, like, 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 they wouldn't understand my life and what I'm going through. And, like, they're not ambitious. Like, they just want to work. And, like, I had all these ideas of, like, who, who, what the alcoholic looked like. And none of it was true. Because, like, at the end of the day, like, I was working. I had a job. I had a 3.7 GPA. I, like, was doing all these things in school that I was supposed to be doing. And I was getting everything done. I was gigging on the weekends. Like, I was getting my life done. But I was so miserable and I didn't want to live and I didn't know why. So it got to a point that I decided that I just had to do something. So I detoxed myself in my dorm room. And um, honestly, things got worse before they got better because I thought the alcohol was just my problem. God, I hoped the alcohol was just my problem because as soon as I stop drinking, everything's going to be great again, right? So that worked all for about like a week. And I would go to um, those 12-step meetings once a month because I thought that's what you're supposed to do. I had no idea about, like, I would pick up, um, like, a sobriety coin and, and once a month, and they would all clap for me. And I'm like, yep, I'm going to fit right in here. They all clap for me. I love it. Like, it's great. Um, until I realized that um, I had no idea what I was doing wasn't uh, a way of recovery. There are some people that that works for. There are some people that are able to just put it down and, and never really have an issue with it again. I'm very envious of that. That was not my experience. They talk about this like line that you cross. And at some point in my drinking career, I crossed the line of never being able to drink normally. And like I relinquished control. Um, and I tried to control my drinking in so many ways. Um, you know, well, fireball was my problem. So I, I switched to 
Um, or no, Great Pinnacle was my problem, so I switched to Fireball like a classy broad. And things never got better. They never, they never got better. So, yeah, I tried. I tried like really hard, and uh, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I, there was no fireworks. There was no Dewey. There was no handcuffs. There was no nothing that would have told me like there's no intervention. If anything, I think most people were very shocked when they found out that. I was an alcoholic, and I think a lot of times I got a lot of pushback being like, yeah, but you're like 18, like, you just haven't learned to drink like, yet. you're just, you're being dramatic, and I definitely, I definitely, I waited until two years to come out as, as, uh, as an alcoholic, and now, now I'm, I'm happily call myself an alcoholic, because being an alcoholic saved my life. Um, the only reason, drugs were never part of my story, the only reason I'm not a drug addict today is because I was too drunk to get out my door to get drugs. That's irony for you, and, uh, I was I was never uh, never into drugs. Um, I never I smoked weed like maybe twice in my life. It just wasn't like I said. Nine out of ten people can drink and, and use normally. I'm just one of the ten that's not. And they have this gene. Um, I was in a class at Berkeley uh, with this teacher Ralph, and we're supposed to pick like a music intermediary. And I was so messed up. Like I was just really messed up um, dealing with all the things that I thought my drinking was the problem of. It turns out it wasn't. It was drinking was my solution. The problem was me. When you take away my solution, I'm still left with all the problems with no solution, which makes me do one of two things: either like get depressive and then suicidal, or it makes me want to drink. So those are my two options if I don't decide to get help. So um, I picked this project on on addiction and musicians and um i was i did i did a research project on that and um i was talking to right turn in arlington massachusetts mm -hmm. yeah. and um i doubt woody would even know my name today and and that's cool like i, I don't care man but um he sat down with me for like an hour and like to do this quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes for you at home, <laughs> paper. And they told me about this thing called DRD4, which is dopamine receptor uh, D4 and how it correlates mental illness, um, addictive um, qualities and creativity and musicianship, which is really fascinating. Though it's theoretical, um, they're still working on proving the uh, genetic correlation. Right, so for the first time, this was explained to me as a physical disease and not just something that's all in my head. So that blew my mind wide open. So back to Google I go. Um, and I found out a bunch about all these other musicians who were sober. I heard like Lana Del Rey got sober at 14. Like I heard these people that got sober, like that didn't wait 70, 60 years to get sober. Like yeah. these people were doing it now. Like there wasn't, I didn't have to wait till I was 21 to start going to 12 step meetings. Like <laughs> that's not a real thing. Like there's actually an entire thing called young people that, that you're able to go and it's all young people, um, which is amazing. I had a really hard time until I realized that drinking wasn't my problem. Like the problem was me. And it took me, you know, through that that project, I had a lot of self-discovery. I mean, I was selfish. I was arrogant. I was, like, equally the greatest thing you've ever seen and the biggest piece of shit you've ever known. Um, just this roller coaster of up and down. And and, and rightfully so, I, there were so many things I did not deal with. And then I don't recommend this. They say uh, not to get into a relationship within the first year of sobriety. That's mm -hmm. what they recommend, right? Yeah. I've never met anyone that's done that, but um, I hear it's great. <laughs> and uh, you know, I thought I could, I thought I could uh, date my way out of it. Um, and so I dated this guy who had good intentions, but wasn't wasn't the best. And um, you know, he was. I relied on him for everything. What I wore that day, where I went to the gym, what I ate, everything. It was picked out and planned. And then I realized that like I couldn't do this on my own. 
And then at a year into my sobriety, I hit another huge rut of just hopelessness. If I'm going to be this miserable in sobriety, what's the point? Like, what is the point of me being sober if I'm not going to be happy? Like, there is no point. So I might as well just die of, you know, a self-loathing alcoholic, like I'm some sort of martyr for the cause. And I think a lot of times as musicians, we're told that, like, you know, like, oh, Jimmy, Jimmy Page did most of his solos on, on dope. And, and yeah, it's why he's the sloppiest guitar player of all time. I still love him. I'm still going to marry him. But, like, <laughs> I'll marry him anyways. He's a flawed man. But that's okay. Everyone has their things. But um, I was told that I, you know, like, I w- would tell myself these lies. But here's the truth, right? So I told myself that I wouldn't write for, like, oh, I can only write when I drink, right? That's what Adele, that's what Lady Gaga does. That's what those people do. And who knows if they actually do that. If they do, that that's awful. I'm so sorry mm-hmm. that, like, you feel you need to do that. That's really sad. But um, I didn't write anything for about four years. So, like, when I stopped drinking, I still had so much fear and anxiety surrounded about my original music um, for such a long time. I was so paralyzed. Like, the fear is just, it paralyzes you. It has this hold on you that is, is it tells you all the things that you've made up. And, like, I would do this thing where I would, like, lie to myself to make it true when I said it to other people. So, like, oh, well, I, I, I can't write. Like, I can just, I'm just going to be a singer. I just wanted to be a jazz singer. That's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to sing jazz and, and kind of, and, like, be a train wreck and, and not care, right? Like, that was the dream of being in, like, but the truth of the matter is that I do care what happens to me. I, and I do, as I should. Um, there's no virtue in, in being fucked up. Oh, shit, shit, can I? Can I yeah, swear? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Fuck yeah. Um, <laughs> there's no virtue in being fucked up. I was like, is this a podcast? Or? Yeah, it's a podcast. Yeah, they, they make me censor my... Oh, I have such a hard time censoring myself. But um, <laughs> I have the best words. I really do. <laughs> and I, um, I was so miserable that I wasn't writing. Anything that I was writing was like... I, w- I wouldn't finish anything. I didn't finish. I, like, I wrote some weird like crazy drunk manifestos that I have to this day and they make no sense like nothing about it is brilliant nothing about it is is genius it's it's all useless stuff for the most part and like I I didn't realize that like what I had like inside me like what wasn't coming out with drinking it was it was like coming out because I had to release the fear that I had because I compare myself and I hold myself to a really high unreasonable standard like 99.9% of the time granted it's gotten me where I've gotten um but at a lot of points it it gets tough I mean this past year has been the hardest year of my life um I've dealt with a lot of things and will continue to deal with many more and I think that's it's one of those double-edged swords of sobriety is like you never realize how much you go through until you don't have anything to mask it which is great because like for the first time in my life I'm actually dealing with my own shit just like crazy yeah, I mean, I, I've had, you know, a close family member become suicidal, and um, this was in January, and I had to put them in a mental institution and lock them down against their will. That was not fun. Um, I was also engaged earlier this year. I was supposed to get married, and um, he didn't show up to our wedding day. Then a month after that, I had to get my... Uh, my teeth removed and uh I was given oxycotton and then I got a concussion or I'm sorry I got a month after that I got a concussion um I hit my head at a gig and I was I felt drunk for three days which was crazy and then after that um I had to get my wisdom teeth removed it's been challenging this year so it makes for great songs I would love to like it's crazy because 
I think people, especially when, when people see you on social media, it's very different from, you know, there are people that share everything about their life on social media, which like, in a way, I'm, I'm somewhat envious of, but I know for me and for like what I do, like, it's just, it's not a way to deal with it. But I did have to like, I did have to be honest. And honesty is the biggest piece of my like, that's one of the biggest things. The only thing I ask for my sponsees is, like, you can tell me anything. Short of, like, I dragged my last sponsor into the woods and murdered her with an axe, like, you can tell me anything. <laughs> and that's the only thing I require. Like, you relapsed? Great. Cool. When are you starting again? Like, you're doing shitty? Awesome. Me too. Welcome. And, like, we hold these... I, I feel like as a, a society, especially as musicians, when someone's really good at something, like, <laughs> there's a reason they're, like, really good at something. You know what I mean? Like, I've never met a well-adjusted musician. <laughs> like, True. there's no happy blues singer. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, like, you know, it, it comes from somewhere, whether it's pain, whether it's pain of their own doing, whether it's, you know, I don't think everybody has to have, like, a crazy family story or anything like that or has to have, like, severe trauma or nothing like that, but... But there is a certain thing, there are certain wires that, that at one point got crossed for whatever reason or another, and, and I always just identified with people that were musical, and I wanted that. Because I, I think as musicians, like, we want to feel accepted, right? I'm not wired the rest of the way. Like, I, I can't wake up for, like, work at 6 in the morning and then go in at 8, and, like, that's just not my life at all. So what I do is, like, I find a way around that, right? And I figure it out. And, like, there's been a lot of times where there's probably been a lot of stuff that should have just, like, completely shot me down. And, like, somehow, well, not somehow. I'll tell you exactly how I did it. Like, I had surrounded myself. Like, I started working um, a 12-step program. And, um, like, I actually did the work surrounding it. I did, like, the the steps and um I started working with other people I started calling those other people I got like a sponsor that was huge that was huge I got a sponsor that went through the steps um I got a lot of really incredible things and for the first time in my life and all I've wanted to be ever since I got sober was honest and for me that's a big part of songwriting and I think as performers it's very easy to get caught up in the where you should be and what you should like the where you should be and the what you should be versus the where you're at and what you are and I understand like when there's money on the line like there's a fine line of of being authentic and but being reachable mm -hmm. you know what I mean like if your idea of a good time is like doing a bunch of lines on stage and and I, like that's your authentic self like and that works for you my first question is how show yeah. me your ways and then second <laughs> question is you might want to think about that um because it's not a sustainable, it's not a sustainable life. And there's a lot of people, especially that it's like musicians, like we die for our art, right? Right. Like that somehow makes us a better musician that like will do these things for herself. And like the self-loathing, like for me was to just cover up the fact that I had so much fear and insecurity surrounding myself as an artist. And even to this day, I still do. I mean, I think when you're a female in the music industry, you know, I don't compare myself, I hate comparing myself to other women because I'll tell you, like, as far as guitar players go, we don't really have a strong team. You know what I mean? Like, there's just, because we're given, sorry, but we're given Daisy Rock guitars and, like, we're told, like, 
like, oh, that's cool, you can strum chords, and, like, or we're told the opposite of, like, wow, it's really hot when a chick plays guitar, right? So, like, mm-hmm. we either fall in those two categories, though. Oh, that's cute, or the, yeah, damn, she's hot, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was, like, I've rarely met a female musician that I that coworkers, a.k.a. anybody, male or female, have been, like, wow, she's a really just innately talented musician, like, that's really crazy. Our team isn't very strong, I'll, I'll be honest on that one, which sucks. But we're also not fostering a, a foundation for women to really do that. So, and I think that's hard. You know, I compare myself to the best of the best. You know what I mean? Like, I try, like, I, I don't think, I, let me rephrase that because I do not think of the best of the best. But, like, I, ho- I see what they have and I, like, really try really hard to, like, hone my skills to, like, get there and, like, to take on things. And, and that's really challenging when, like, chances are they're probably not great singers or, like, they're great, not great business people or they can't write to save their lives. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But, man, they can play the blues. Like, I love a ton of fusion players. Oh, man. There are some, real, there are some amazing monsters out right now. Eric Gales, he's, he's incredible. He's one of my – he's top two guitar players in the world right now. No question. Gales and trucks. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. That's it. Sorry. But that's, like, there's no contest. Um, Gales is lesser known, but he, he's a monster. Whew. Mm-hmm. I know guys, I know like pro guys that will not get on stage with that guy. He just destroys, um, which is awesome. It's just very innovative. Like we haven't really had a lot of women that have done innovative things. But we also haven't had any guitar players in recent history do any innovative things. Um, you know, we're pretty much just doing the blues stuff on, on steroids and, and seeing where it goes. And until you really got into like your Eric Johnsons and your... Um, your fusion players, that's when things started to kind of change. Mm-hmm. But now there's the cool part about like social media is that like anybody, like these people are like coming out of the woodwork. So there are some really solid, amazing guitar players that are coming out, male or female, it doesn't matter. But it, it's, it's challenging when you hold yourself in all aspects of your life to like these extreme examples of like innate talent and like hours, like 20,000 hours of dedication per person. Like, yeah. That's a lot of time, right? And, like, these things will come. It just takes time. And it's really hard to just sit back and, like, just do one thing a day. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the year, you have 365 things that you've done, right? Because my biggest problem is I'll, like, build this mountain for myself. And, like, I'll pile all these things on top of me. And then when I'm crushed, I don't understand why I can't move it all at once. It's the weirdest thing. And, like, the drinking was was how I dealt with it. I dealt dealt with life through drinking. And um, I... You know, I just, I ran from things. Drinking in naps, mostly. That's, that's, I just won't deal with it. Nope, done. So, talk about Berkeley. Berkeley, okay. Um, Berkeley wasn't, I learned so much there mm-hmm. um, about myself, some about music, and um, not much about real life, but uh, I learned a lot. Um, I learned, I don't know, Berkeley is one of those places, and I think all schools in general is like one of those places where you really learn to hate yourself. Um, (laughs) uh, And it was kind of like this thing where there wasn't a lot of emotional development going on for me at that time. It wasn't until I got sober that that I, I even put the toe in the water for that. And that was my experience. I know so many people that like went and like had the time of their lives and like is amazing and they graduated and they like work at an office now or something. But like that just wasn't my experience. Um, I loved being around people. I didn't know how to have friends. I didn't know how to do any of that. So I'm not sure if 
I learned a lot. Like, I loved learning. I loved being in classes. I loved, like, MIT. I loved theory. I loved um, I loved the tech side of things. I loved, I loved music, and I do love music. And at the end of the day, it's always been about the songs that I write. It's always been about the words and how they connect with each other. It's always, it's always been about the music. And it's hard a lot of the time, especially at Berkeley, when there's not a, a ton of of women, you know, and most of them are singers, you know what I mean? Like, it's very hard. There's this weird synonymous thing with, like, singers and musicians that, like, apparently they're not the same thing. Yeah. And, like, yeah, I've met plenty it of singers that are crazy. not. Yeah, I've I've met plenty of singers that are, are not musicians, absolutely. But, like, to say that, like, no, like, I'm, like, my harmony skills are not strong. But I know singers that are, like, able to be like, oh, yeah, you need a, a minor third above that. I'm like, yep, yeah, cool. And they're like, cool, awesome, da-da-da, right? Like I'm super jealous of that. I can't. Do, I can do that on like guitar, but I, I won't do that uh, on voice. Just my ears don't don't hear that sort of thing for whatever reason. Uh, very jealous of people that do. But again, that's a, another trait you learn to teach yourself because there's definitely a lot of situations. I wish they would have like a practical musicians class for like the twenty percent of musicians that I'm making up. Um, that's a completely made up number that are just going to be like gigging cover musicians. Like these are things you're not learning in ensemble. These are things you're not learning in in music business 101. These are not things like, how do you book a gig? Like I remember like, they're like, you need to make a press kit. And I'm like, that's not how any of this works. Like if you're a cover musician, that's not how it works. Like I'll tell you what I did. Like I'll tell you, I started at open mics. I started networking with other people. I started stop sucking. Like that's a big thing. Like, if you're not getting hired, there's probably a reason. It's either you have to keep working on your craft or you're an asshole. Like, both of which you have to work on. (laughs) I know plenty of talented people that are not getting hired right now, man. Like, that's a real thing. And um, as it should be. I mean, talent, there's, there's no amount of talent that gets to remove you from how you act as a person. I mean, we see that now with all the the crazy sexual harassment and assault things going down. Like, there's no amount of talent and success that um, makes you become immune to to consequences and immune to life. Like, I think it definitely raises people's thresholds. Like, if John Mayer called me an asshole, okay. Like, I'll take it. At least he knows I'm one. Like, (laughs) but but it, it, it does not change the facts. And, oh, man, I've... I've definitely had some some situations, um, some of which I, I I jokingly post on Facebook because I just think it's hilarious at this point. Like I'm I'm so not surprised and surprised all at the same time with 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 a lot of the situations that I come across. But you know, it's not going to change. It is what it is, and I think we should, as sad as it is, we should teach women and and others. I'm not discounting like like men's sexual assault. Like I think that's one of the most underrepresented and 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 under talked about um, things because I think that's huge. Um, I know men that have been sexually assaulted, and and that's very real. You know what I mean? Um, and we should definitely um, be doing a lot more for mental health, for sure. Um, I think that's one downfall at Berkeley. That um, I will say that publicly that their mental health system it, it needs help, and I think that just needs more funding and more awareness. I mean, to make posters of, like, 
80% of Berkeley kids say they don't feel the pressure to drink. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen those posters. I was like, that's not real life. Like one, they say one out of 10 people is some sort of an addict, right? Most of those, if we are correlating DRD4 are some sort of creative type. So like you basically got like an addictive cesspool surrounded by stress, trauma, PTSD, hormones, and, um, and unreasonably high expectations. And like, you're wondering, and now you're just going to make a poster for that. Sounds great. Let me know if you need, <laughs> you want a logo. <laughs> I would love to see Berkeley have its own 12 step meetings. They do currently have, um, a few, but they're only of one. Um, they have one just for, for, for drug addicts. Um, yeah. but most drug addicts also identify themselves. They, they do say that alcohol is a drug and they have, uh, one for marijuana as well, um, but it would be really great to see one for um, people that are, are just drinking and also a women's meeting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really important. And if I had the time, I would absolutely love to help get that started. I remember um, my first time going to a meeting by myself, like I was wasted. I would show up to meetings absolutely wasted. Like I knew where I had to go. I just didn't know how to get there and people would give me their cell phone numbers that I would never use and like the first thing I remember this guy and like he like opened his arms to me and I just hated myself and I I didn't know why and like he opened his arms he goes welcome we're really glad you're here to my response was why like why do you care right like these people love me when I I didn't know how to love myself and that was so important because, man, I really hated myself. I really hated who I was. And I wish I could tell you that, like, recovery is this finish line. I really wish I could be like, yeah, I got sober and everything's great. Mm-hmm. Like, I've talked to some people that say that. I don't know how much of that it's true, but that wasn't my experience. Like, life gets hard. Life gets hard, especially when you're an entertainer, especially when you're a performer. I mean, I never really had an issue being in nightlife and being sober. There was definitely some challenging times. I think when... Like, pumpkin beer was just starting to be a thing. I never had any pumpkin beer. That sucks. Um, yeah, me neither. Yeah, no pumpkin beer for no. you? You're not missing anything. Yeah. So, like, you know, you got the... But, but you're sober, so you get it. And, yeah. like, there's definitely been, you know, a lot of times you can kind of feel a little out of place. I think the only thing that really bothers me is when people play drinking games. Like, I want to play the reindeer games. Yeah. Like, Rudolph wants to play. Um, <laughs> so I have friends that, like, my my good friends, like... Like, people offer me drinks, I'm like, no thanks, you know what I mean? And it's usually no big deal. Like, the minute someone's like, why? I'm like, I'll tell you why. Like, I'm an alcoholic. I don't drink anymore because I I can't handle this. And trust me, you trying to push a shot down my throat is not going to help the situation. And typically, people will back off. If they don't, I'll just, and they get really aggressive. I just, I either walk away or make fun of them on the mic or something. Mm. You know, I've got options. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's hard when you're, not doing what you love and other people are also not doing what they love, but you're all forced to do that together. You know what I mean? You're, you're kind of just creating a situation that's not mentally healthy for a lot of musicians. I found that working a lot of, um, corporate wedding stuff, mostly wedding stuff. I actually love corporate events. Corporate events are my favorite because people are like still at work. So they can't be complete weirdos. Yeah. Yeah. Which is nice. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah. I love corporate events, man. Oh, it's great. Usually there's just like one or two really drunk people and they're ready to get the party started. They're at work. Oh, man. Weddings are weird because most people like, they either get like, they don't want to like deal with their families and then like you're worried about like the crazy brides and the introductions and I never get the names right. So I just, I don't even, I 
whatever. <laughs> I don't want that to be my job. Yeah. It's someone else's dream job, but it's not mine. Okay, so, um, yeah, we're kind of getting too close to the yeah. time where you got to leave, so I want to make sure I get in the question about your gear. Yeah, <laughs> so I've got a pretty aggressive setup. I use a lot of gear. I'm a total gearhead, and I'm always acquiring and and killing new things. <laughs> um, if I can't destroy it, it's literally indestructible. <laughs> um I use um, I use a bunch of stuff. Mostly for my live shows, I'm known as a loop artist, um, so I use a ton of pedals. Um, I've owned almost every single loop pedal that there is on the market, except for the Pigtronics um, and then the Boomerang. I have not owned those two, but the other ones I have. Boss RC3, RC30, RC300. I've owned my Digitech. Uh, Jam Man is what I currently have not killed yet. I've owned Ditto Loopers. I've owned... Oh, man, you name it, I've owned it, um, and I've killed them. Um, they Pedals last about, the one I have now is just about to go. They last about anywhere from six to eight months for me of shows, and then they die because I either kill the switches or the onboard electronics just crack, um, which is what it is, but I use that. Um, I'm big into, uh, I just got my first um, endorsement with Carolan Amplifiers, which I'm so excited about. It's definitely an adjustment for me having like a company of that standing that's like willing to support and throw their name behind what I do that's that's huge that that was that was huge for me and um so I've always been into like the boutique gear thing and um I dated a vintage collector for a little bit and that's how I kind of got the bug so I ditched the guy and kept the gear and uh and I loved it man I I play I've got a bunch of guitars but my main I just picked up a a new main gigging guitar it's uh, custom built it's it wasn't built for me it was built for actually one of my good friends and he was on tour in Asia the cool part about it, it has a graphtech ghost system in it so it plays like it looks like an electric but it plays absolutely like an acoustic it's basically if a parker fly didn't suck that's what this would be. Um, God, those are so annoying. I can't stand the tone. That and those little Ed Sheeran guitars. Can we just stop with those? They sound like shit. Just stop it. Like, stop it. Ed Sheeran, you have plenty of room on the airplane to take a full-size guitar. Let's be honest here. Stop it, Ed Sheeran. Stop it. I mean, like, we can do a co-write session later. That would be cool, but... Yeah. Stop it with the baby guitars. You're you're an adult. Um, I think those, the Traveler guitars sound terrible. Um... But I, I have a, a Strat, I have like a, I have a, basically a cheap Maxis Strat that I love. Her name is Lucky. She's a white Hendrix Strat. It's got the custom shop pickups in it, which is nice. The guitar I have now has um, Bare Knuckle VH2 in it, and then it has t uh, the Bare Knuckle Irish Tours in it as well. So the VH2 is kind of, obviously, Van Halen-esque uh, sort of metal sound. Yeah. Not really metal. Um, it has a really beefy low end on it, which I dig. It's a humbucker. I have, and then I have a cold tap on that. And then on my, um, and then for the Irish Tours, they're definitely, they're screamy. They're hot. They're 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 like vintage hot. So they're like hot pickups, but they've got a lot of warmth to them. Um, but I still can because I love like that Jimmy Page. Like I remember like the solo of Heartbreaker is like one of my favorite things. Oh, my favorite solo of all time. It's the solo of Heartbreaker. I mean, I love all of Jimmy Page, even the flaws. One day, he'll love me. He'll love me back. Um, he has not asked to marry me yet. It's been challenging. I know it's been a difficult time for me. Really. Uh, one day. I have that, and then I have my loop station. I use BBEY. I've got a bunch of random pedals that I kind of change out. I just picked up a uh, Hall of Fame 2. It's made by T. 
TC Electronic, I believe. TC, yeah, yeah. I believe it's TC Electronic. I could be wrong. You should Google that. Yeah, it's, what's cool about it is it has the switch is actually an expression pedal. So um, you can control the um, switch level to um, how far you're pushing down, and it just looks like a normal switch button, which is really cool. It's pretty innovative. Um, they definitely did cool stuff on that. Um, and then I have a bunch of boost pedals that I use. I actually wired a MIDI trigger into the body of my guitar. Yeah, I drilled into the body of like a 5,000 boutique like guitar, like five hundred. Like, I do all like the stuff you're not supposed to do to your guitars, but I do it all in the name of love because I'd much rather have a guitar that gets played and used and abused rather than something that hangs on a wall, right? Yeah. There, there's so many blues guys that I know that. Oh man, like I'd much rather see someone that's a killer player rock a a Squire Strat <laughs> than like than see. You know, Joe Blow, who couldn't play the blues if I murdered his entire family, play a 59 Les Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, it's the player. Like, the instrument doesn't make you the musician. The musician makes you the musician. So I'm cool with whatever gear as long as it's comfortable, as long as it fits, as long as it, like, sounds good to me. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's a Line 6, I don't recommend it, but if it's a Line 6 and you really love the <laughs> that metal zone tone, like, you can... <laughs> You can, and you rock it and you love it, like, go for it. Yeah. I think there are a lot of people that get, especially at Berkeley, you know, we kind of get to be, I definitely went through a phase of, like, super gear snob. But, like, the truth is, is, like, all the things that I think about other people, like, and especially in their playing, is typically things that I really criticize myself even ten times harshly is on. So I really don't take people's personal opinions as closely as I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, Because I definitely used to be like, oh, my my bends are this, my bends are that. And, like, don't get me wrong. Like, they're probably right. Like, everyone's got shit to work on, and that's cool. But, like, it doesn't need to end my life or end my career over it. Yeah. So the MIDI trigger, uh, remind me what you do with that. So what I do... What you're using that for? So that one's a little bit more complicated. Basically, I have a ceramic piezo pickup. Um, the pickup is could literally be anything. I don't use it as a switch. I use it as a ceramic plate so that I actually get velocity out of it so I can um, actually change the intensity. That's actually for my kick drum. Mm, I drilled into the body of uh, my guitar, um, and (laughs) that was sketchy. And um, I drilled into the body of that, and I put that trigger. That goes goes through the body of the guitar out to a second jack that is a quarter-inch jack, and that goes to a Roland TM2 on my pedal board, which is um, essentially a drum module. Mm-hmm. It's a two-channel drum module that I loaded my samples from my record in. So I can trigger my actual kick drum from seams. I can trigger my actual kick drum from uh, Full Throttle Baby. I can trigger my actual kick drum from Beast, uh, which is pretty cool. And then I can trigger real samples. And it, and it with the loop station, it's or with the looping that I do right now, I currently have just a one-pedal Digitech Jam Man, um, the XT, I believe. There's two models of it. I believe I have the XT, although I own both models. I just don't know which one I use. Mm-hmm. Keep one as a backup. And then, so I, I have both of those, and I feel like as a solo performer, especially because I don't really have a band, I don't really do that. Not really my style. Um, it's definitely helped me a lot with filling up my sound and really being a one-man band without it being with a harmonica on my mouth and a kick drum on my back. Yeah, Not yeah. about that. 
No, it's like it's like monkey territory. I don't feel like <laughs> being at the zoo. I already feel like I'm at the zoo. It's funny. I have this other female drummer that I work with. Her name is Jazz. She's awesome. That's why we joke anytime we play together, we're the zoo. I've worked with Jazz before. Yeah, yeah. Jazz is cool. She's great. She's cool. I dig Jazz. Jazz is rad. Um, I, I've worked with some really great great musicians there's some there's some really cool cool people that are coming out right now that uh that are some of my favorites and uh there's a guitar player in boston his name is uh he's my favorite boston guy right now it's just like it's fusion but it's always different uh his name is sean cronin mm. kid's a monster um and then there's uh i mean i i love the out west the la guys i mean you're matt schofield's you're um josh smith is another monster right now eric gales um who else we got? Mateo or something? I'm not. I'm not big into like the metal shreddy stuff. Uh, not really my style. I'm. I'm much more of like if you play three notes, cool. But like, what did you mean when you played those three notes? Like yeah. that means more to me than thirty. So it's all your style. Like, and if and if you are able to express yourself with thirty notes, and like, I'm not saying like shredders have no emotion. I've met plenty of shredders that have emotion. I mean, Nuno Betancourt. It's, mm-hmm. it's your, yeah. Dude's got plenty of emotion. Have you seen that hair? He's beautiful. He's a beautiful man. He also has not asked to marry me, which is disappointing. He'll come around. Yeah, give it time. Give it time. That's what he say. You know, if you love something, let it go. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so we only have a couple minutes. Yeah. So uh, just kind of what's what's coming up next? You're moving to LA. I'm moving to Los Angeles. I'm playing at the Paradise on December 5th. Uh, with Jake Bug, which is amazing. Um, he's this really cool folk guy. They play him on like 92.5 The River all the time. I hear it. And um, he's a great songwriter. So I'm going to be doing a solo acoustic-ish thing with that. I'm going to be bringing out one of my Carol Ann's, which is going to be amazing. I'm so excited for that. Um, I'll be doing um, pretty much kind of a low-key loop show, but I'm really going to be highlighting my songwriting and what I'm capable of. Um, like I said, my dream is to write for other people. Um, and I'm, if I get to write for myself, I get to write for myself and that's cool too. Um, but I just want to be able to create. I just like, if there was a machine that I could just like insert good music into and like have money come out, like a vending machine for music, like, mm-hmm. like, yeah, it'd be about that. Like you just pop in the thing and then the hundred dollar stacks come out and like, you know, and then there's a range parked outside. I want to, I want a G wagon so bad. That's like my one splurge. I don't care about the house. I don't care about where I'm living. I don't, I don't give a, I don't care about any of that shit, but I do want a G wagon and a Chevelle, a vintage Chevelle. I love my cars. I love my cars. I already have my Harley, so I'm good. Yeah. I got my black Harley. I've got, I just want my, my black G wagon and my black Chevelle. Yeah. My Chevelle's my daily or my G wagon is my daily driver. Yeah, mm-hmm. in theory, eventually, someday. Yeah. So you've just been doing singles. Are you thinking of ever doing like a full-length album ever? or Potentially. Or I, is the single, has that been sort of your strategy? I've been kind of doing the single thing recently. I, I think with the changing of the times and the, yeah. and the changing of the guards, the single thing is really the most effective strategy to yeah, get exactly. your hands into the music as far as online goes. In real show life, and I think for touring musicians, the album still holds very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, most musicians that I know that are touring make the majority of the money that they get to keep, especially if they're paying for on-tour support through their merch sales. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's not something to be discounted. I think people are wrong when they're saying merch is dead, but merch is more of a novelty at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, like I buy people's CDs. I don't listen to the CDs. I mean, I, I listen to them on Spotify, but I'll buy their CDs. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I buy it as much as I wear that shitty t-shirt that they made, you know, like, yeah. 
Like, it's not, I support the music. I also, I love Spotify. I love iTunes. I love streaming. Like, I think that streaming is not inherently bad. Yeah. I think there's a lot of musicians that are, especially the legacy artists, shall we say, have a real difficult time with streaming. And I get it. Like, times are changing. Gentrification ain't fun. It ain't mm-hmm. cute. But, like, at this point, you have to realize that you're actually opening up all these new markets. And I think it's funny when people are like, oh, yeah, computers, they're just a phase. And, like, the biggest change and, like, the potential for growth happens in times like this. And I think that's where we're getting a lot of these really unique startups. And we're getting people that are passionate about songwriters. And, like, if I were to spin, I get, what is it? You would know the statistics better than I would, Annie, but I believe it's, like, three hundredths of a penny Oh, yeah. Per Spotify stream. Yeah. So if you have a penny and you could cut that up into 100 pieces and give me three, I'll promise not to spend that all in one place. That's per (laughs) stream, which it's getting better because we're we're finally having people that are really lobbying for us as songwriters and musicians, um, you know, because the money that's being made is not going where it's supposed to go. You know, it's not the money's not being made. That's not the case. Money is absolutely being made. But to have 200 dollars go to the songwriter when 6000 goes to, you know, the label. And a lot of these labels own Spotify. They own, like, this is not, I forget who is it that has, a few companies have stake in Spotify. All three of the majors have, yeah. have own, I believe, over 30% of Spotify. So they're getting paid twice, essentially. Yeah. Which is like, is that a monopoly? I mean, like, you are now the gatekeepers to, I mean, like, like where are these antitrust laws coming in? Where are these, as far as business goes, like, this is a very scary situation. I think people, because they see music as being so frothy and not like a real hard-hitting problem, like, what's the worst that could happen to a musician? Oh, no, your string broke. You know, mm-hmm. it, but and, and I don't believe that musicians should automatically get a handout or, you know, we need to start forking it over to everyone and anyone like you know the people that work for it should be should be duly compensated just fairness yeah. uh, especially i feel bad for, like i said i feel bad for the legacy guys that are used to you know like your your touring acts from like you know poison's not dropping a new record anytime soon like let's be honest here yeah. you know i feel bad for people like that because they just like that's where they make they're forced to make these like albums that don't really go anywhere and people that have been successful have been doing it all DIY which in my opinion is great and really terrifying um because there's some really questionable things that are out which is is cool it's your art if you feel comfortable sending that off the press that's rad um <laughs> I don't have that kind of courage <laughs> to, to send um I, I'm definitely a perfectionist when it comes to my music. Um, um, I took five mixes and two masters of seams to get the right version. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm very well, it particular. Sounds, it sounds great. Thank you so much. That means a lot. It really does. Could you just tell us a little bit more about, you said you did some programming and you were learning how to edit, and and I think that's something that's, A, unusual, that a lot of musicians are doing that. I don't think many people are doing that, and certainly I'm not hearing a lot of women talk about that. Yeah. I think that's actually really fascinating, and, and tell us a little bit about how that grew out of that. Like, so it grew out of necessity. It yeah. was just a necessity. It wasn't that I was like, oh, I'm going to be a programmer now. Like, nothing in my music career that's, like, non-music related has been like, oh, wow, I can't, I can't wait to be a booking agent. <laughs> like, 
nothing has been like that. Like the, what's happened is that I'm, I'm using a program. It's actually free. It's called Mobius 2. Um, what's cool about it is that you're able to actually manipulate it into uh, whichever kind of thing that you need. It's very tedious as it is open source. Um, and you have to run like a th- 64 to 32-bit like conversion on that, which is a pain in the ass. But... Mm-hmm. Um, it's not impossible. Um, there are also this other guy in England, his name is Sonnet Pedals, is coming out with a similar, um, most people are switching over to like, um, because people are so, especially the musicians are now switching over to like Ableton based, um, either launching tracks or launching samples that, you know, it grew out of necessity, not because like I really love coding like I I hated it and I like cried like six times trying to get this thing to start, but I, I'm slowly figuring it out, um, and I have, like, the idea of, like, what I need it to do, and now I'm just trying to figure out how to tailor it to get done what it needs to, which is challenging. It's definitely not a not a thing I thought I would ever have to do, but I know it's possible. Um, you know, there is, I think, I feel a lot of pressure, especially coming from Berkeley, not necessarily pressure, but I feel a lot of pride in musicianship and, like, really playing things live and being authentic and honest and being real but from a listener standpoint I also have to be like well if my single sounds nothing like it does on stage like there's going to be a disconnect there so I have to find a happy medium a happy balance so uh, like I said I'm programming um to RJM Mastermind MX16 uh with um I've just got like a 25 key um like MIDI keyboard trigger and then also a um I just added a Kai, forget what the model name, it's just like a 16-pad um, beat, um, like MIDI trigger beat controller. Um, so I'll be able to loop all those live through Mobius um, and then add in my samples on top of that. Hopefully my samples are going to, um, my goal is to have them attenuate and to um, beat match. Um, to whatever BPM that I'm playing live without having to set it. There's a lot of things going on. Um, and then have each channel be an individual. So I have like two channels in and then like 22 channels out. So I can send a full mix. I can send um, uh, just my voice. I can send just my guitar, just my drum, just my samples. Like to be able to have it be fully customizable, which I think that's my problem is that there's so many options that I don't know which which one um, I'm doing. It can definitely... It gets very frustrating, but um, I just try to chip at it a little bit at a time. So I'm really excited about that. And then, um, yeah, I'm super stoked about that. Cool. I love the tech Yeah, I just thought that was fascinating. All right. Well, thanks again. Thank you so much for having uh, me, Michael. Best of luck in LA. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited talking to us. Of course. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really do appreciate it, and and all your help, Annie. And oh. oh. Be a full throttle
I'm just waiting for a green light Still eyes don't smile Great time long miles I'm overthinking again